You're listening to Sarah Hagen backstage with interviews and insights from years inside the music industry. Join Sarah as she talks with masters of their crafts, finding out what makes them tick both inside and outside of the music business. Welcome to Sarah Hagen backstage. My guest today, Stan Bicknell, was one of the first of the online drumming generation. But his music career is incredibly diverse, with many bands, genres, recordings, and students to his credit. We are going to talk today about all of these things and his incredibly disciplined daily routine, including his personal mindset and how he stays so positive. So come along with me as I catch up with Stan Bicknell. Stan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you going, Sierra? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. It's nice to finally chat. I was just saying to you before, like we've spent, um, you know, back in the Zildjian days, so much time talking over email and it's nice to finally get on a call and have a yarn, you know? It is so nice. It's so nice. It's always been challenging because of the time difference, right? So I know. Right yeah, now, we're on the bottom of the world. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know trying to figure out the timing for this for this recording. We were like, "What time is it where you are?" What, what I know. Here, <laughs> and, and where are you? Right. So, so yeah. right now you are in New Zealand. Yes. And there is such an interesting story that I just have to talk about because you moved there during COVID. Yeah, yeah. I made me and my wife and my daughter uh, made the move. Two years ago, and actually, yeah, two years this month, I moved, or next month, I moved back. Um, I got back a couple of weeks prior to the family to set up the house and just get things sorted. Um, and we actually had a cat that we had to send over on the plane um, that 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 actually separated us from doing the flight together because we had to do quarantine. Like when we got to, like I had to spend two weeks in a hotel on arrival on my own. Right. And then once I got out, my wife flew the cat over and I picked up the cat and then they flew over and did their quarantine. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I just, I remember following along with you when you were going through that quarantine and it was such a process because yeah. there was like a pretty serious lockdown as yeah. far as like who's allowed in and who's allowed out and how that all works. And I remember you were in this hotel right? And you had to like stay in your room. It was almost like, it was almost like a prison sentence kind of thing. It, it essentially was set up the way a prison set up. And I don't want to refer it to that because, um, you know, like they made their reasons, um, they have their reasons yeah. as to why they set it up that way. But in terms of like, you were, you were allowed out of the room twice a day for yes. like, I don't even know, to be honest. And the reason why is because um, I didn't actually leave the room because a lot of people were getting COVID um, mingling with other people um when they went out for their 10 minutes or 15 minutes and so oh, wow. i didn't want to run the risk of that because i had too many things to do once i finally got out you know i didn't yeah. want to be locked down again so i just stayed in the room for 14 days and i i set up a routine as you can imagine like i had like um things that i did every day you know i i, I like youtubed um hotel room workouts and i found a couple of things that sort of fit with what i wanted to do and but yeah. it's funny like even doing workouts and like i did two workouts a day most days and whatnot um, with the lack of energy being used in that small space, my sleeping over the two weeks deteriorated pretty much to the point that I've never really experienced before. Like by the last couple of days, I couldn't stay asleep longer than like an hour or two. It was so bizarre because you just can't really burn that much energy when you're sitting in a room. <clears throat> right, you know? right. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And your and your sense of like space and time and and all of that was probably just really thrown thrown off. Um, yeah, it was, and I was like pacing, like I was I was trying to get like X amount of steps a day, just like silly ways for the brain to deal with it. I was doing a little yeah. bit of meditation. I was doing just things to like kill the time, but in a routine mm -hmm. sort of way, you know. And it worked. Mm -hmm. I mean. It was kind of weird. I didn't feel, but as soon as I came out, it was almost like it didn't happen because two weeks is quite a long time. Right. It is a long time to be like just literally in a room by yourself. And for all of us who followed along with you, it was, it was fascinating how you made it work because I do remember, you know, the, the, um, the workouts that you were doing and you were sharing like books that you were reading and you got yeah, 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 delivered, yeah. right? You could pick your yeah. meals yeah. and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> It was, it was interesting, but I gave you all the credit because I think at that point, like we had all been in quarantine, you know, quarantine, I say it, you know, lightly because of what you were going through was actual serious quarantine. But, um, it was just, it was fascinating to watch how you got through that. And then, mm -hmm. you know, when you finally got out, it was like, yeah, um, yeah, it was um, it was interesting because I'd just come from Melbourne and Melbourne had one of the longest and harshest um, lockdowns in the world. It was like 250 days of the highest lockdown. We were only allowed to leave the house for like an hour a day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, it was pretty intense. And then I did the two weeks in New Zealand and then New, New Zealand had done so well up until that point of avoiding COVID. And then it finally made its way into the system. And then we had like an insane lockdown at this end two times. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. But, oh you know, God. like the whole reason we moved back was to have the family, like my daughter, um, closer to her grandparents and um, her cousins and stuff. And so we moved to an area where the family was and we instantly got the benefits of that. Um, and so that was really the whole initiative behind moving back. Jess and I were always going to move back. We were all, like, we're Kiwis. So, it was um we were actually were only supposed to be in Melbourne for five years, um, but then it turned into twelve just wow. because opportunities happen, you know, like we both became business owners in that time. Um, we ended up having our daughter over there. I've got a son as well. And yeah, before you know it, like five years turned into twelve years and we thought, shit, we better get back. So COVID wasn't the reason, but it was definitely um a good reason because my son had actually moved back to New Zealand about a, a couple of years prior. Because mm -hmm. um, his mum and I aren't together. We haven't been together like since he was born, pretty much. Totally get on fine. She's a great mum. We're, 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 it's a totally um, cohesive thing. But he'd lived with us the majority of the time in Melbourne. He moved back. And then when COVID happened um, and the borders were shut, that fluidity between the two countries, which is really easy for New Zealand and Australia. We have like a, a, a quite an open treaty relationship. Mm -hmm. It's quite good. Um, I couldn't see him. He couldn't come over. And so... Oh. That was the final reason to go, really, you know? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. No, that's I think like for all like the, the reason of moving back um was, you know, obviously the family, but uh I, I didn't really even have drumming in mind when I first got back. And then all of a sudden things started to present themselves and I thought, shit, I could probably get back into drumming. <laughs> yes, yeah. And let's say get look, back into it. Get well, let's talk about that too, because when I I remember first hearing of you and I, I feel like you are one of the the first kind of like online presence, you know, drumming presences. Like you, you yeah. had this, right? Like it was, yeah. it was pretty early on where you established yourself online as an online drummer. Yeah. I always say that I was part of that first wave of that international drum community that started to pop off. 
mm-hmm. um you know i could think of a hand like maybe you know a dozen guys that were sort of in, in a similar position to me we were all sort of obviously thinking the same thing putting up different sort of content but because social media especially for musicians was still so um like not not everyone was online yet um the growth right. was a lot lot easier you know um the the feedback was a lot more immediate and whatnot so yeah i was a fast i was i was a part of that initial wave Hmm. yeah and and but before that like how did you how did you get your start like what were you um when you first started drumming how did that come about yeah so i was like 13 years old i'd already been playing guitar for a couple of years um i still play guitar now i just don't share it with anyone (laughs) um and i was at a friend's house and his brother had a drum kit and they had to go out onto the farm to do some work and i just happened to be chilling out in his brother's room and i sat down on his brother's drum kit and i just played the classic money beat and um Mm -hmm. just you know got an amazing sense of endorphins um and from that moment onwards I went to school the next day and basically approached the music teacher and just said, I want to be a drummer. Um, I was playing keyboard in a band at that time as well. And we were doing like a, uh, like a local band competition. Um, we did that competition. And then that was essentially the last time I played keyboard. And then from that moment onwards, I pretty much always identified as a drummer, no matter what I did for work or whatever my life situation was. If someone asked me what I did, I'd always say drummer first, <laughs> even that. though it never you know it didn't start paying me until my early 20s oh now maybe my late teens because i did a couple of covers bands as well but Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's just funny like the moment that i connected with it um the identity was set in stone straight off the bat that's amazing and and what kind of music were you playing back then in your cover bands yeah so like with the um before the covers bands my early inspiration was real pocket driven music but in that sort of like rock and new metal scene so like my earliest inspiration um for that style one of my earliest inspirations was brad wilk from rage mm-hmm. and it's so like i never went ne- never really did the um grunge thing like i never really went down there i think i was a little bit too young to catch the wave of that because mm-hmm. a lot of my got friends that i became friends with later on who are a few years older than me they were total grunge heads and they weren't really new metal guys so i think i was just that prime age for rage against the machine and then your bands that follow that like your deftones and i mean you know i'm a massive john otto fan so Limp Bizkit, mm-hmm. um it's all pretty cliche stuff now, but it's. I look back on it, and um, they were such great influences because I found out years later, you know, as you start to learn more about your influences and what they're into, they were all hip hop heads, and so they were real pocket-driven hip hop guys that found themselves in rock and metal contexts. So they were the perfect guys for me to learn from because um, I was obviously into the music, but you know, like when you're playing along to music um, as you do when you're a kid, and um, you're trying to lock into their pocket and the drums almost go like you can't even hear their drums anymore because you're so locked in. Uh, that was always my goal when I would jam along to to tracks and bands and whatnot. So I just sort of, um, uh, I, I just appreciate so much now uh, as uh, being a bit older, those, those fundamental years are just so important, like the influences, because you get such a concentrated version of what that is and that forever sets you, you know, like you never really get away from that. I still feel like exactly the same drummer as I was in my teens, you know, and I've been playing for 26 years now. So I'm just, I just feel really fortunate that those guys were so heavily pocket driven because I feel that that's where I sort of got my pocket um, from those guys, you know. That makes a ton of sense. I always say like, check out who your influences, influences are, right? Like, yeah, because it does it, 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 it 
how who they were affected by or the music they were affected by turned them into the drummer that they are. And so like if you kind of dig deep on some of that stuff, you discover really really great music that you connect with as well so that's yeah it's fascinating like they probably had like big drum influences as well but if you look at like the five or six that i was probably the most influenced by in my like more um my learning years you know it was yeah. it was brad wilk um john otto abe cunningham jose from incubus um mm -hmm. who else oh and then a little bit later like in my sort of like maybe 17 18 19 years um was like danny carey started to enter the scene and Steve mm -hmm. Smith, the guys that sort of, you know, had a little bit more um, to show, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. uh, like that's such a mighty five or six people to be heavily influenced by. And their influences were, were hip hop, you know, which is wow. just so cool. It's amazing. It is amazing. And I, I think about like the, the, the rock drummers, you know, of like, so our generation influenced by those guys and then the, the generation, you know, before us influenced by, Ringo and Charlie Bonham. Watts and, you know, and of course, like we're all influenced by John Bonham because he's yes. John Bonham, but um, you know, it, those guys were like jazz driven, you know, they were I listening know. to jazz music. And so like, it all comes back. It all. It's weird. Eh? Another great example is Mitch Mitchell with Jimi Hendrix. Like he's a jazz yeah. drummer in a rock context. And, and I love, I love um, finding out, uh, no, no, it, it doesn't ever surprise me when a drummer that I'm really into for their unique sound, it turns out they're not in their genre. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they mm -hmm. come from a different world. And I always think that's the, the coolest thing. Like you look at um Chris Penny with Dillinger. Yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. his his style of approaching a band like that is so different to any drummer prior or since that come from the metal world. Mm -hmm. He was a jazz drummer, you know, he did yeah. corpse drumming as well and things like that, I think, as far as I know. But he was definitely a jazz guy. And much like Mitch Mitchell, you put them in the context of a rock band and they bring all that over. And man, the flavor is just insane, eh? It is. It is amazing. And and like you mentioned, Danny Carey, too, and his, um, you know, his jazz like background and like all the yeah. music that he plays outside of Tool. And, you yeah. know, it's just it's amazing to see to see that as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, so, I try yeah. to always think like that, too. Like I play um i do a bunch of session work and stuff and i always try and um stay out of the norm uh just because you know flavor is key i suppose um mm -hmm. it's not to, to tread over what you're doing but just to add i always try and think of guys like that who have found themselves in a situation where genre wise they're out of where they where they would be naturally but it just sounds so much better having them involved Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's interesting to like really have a, a wide take on music in general. And even if you are playing a specific genre 90% of the time, having that kind of like wider knowledge of sound and um, beats and all of that, it can only lend itself positively, I think, to what you're putting out there. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, case in point is that when I got to my late teens and I did the um, started working in covers bands and whatnot i also put together a tall tribute band so for like a couple of years there i was i think i was 18 when i started it all the rest of the band were about five to ten years my senior um and the reason why the band started is because a flatmate of mine said that no one could play tall like he was the sort of <laughs> guy that just like made stupid statements like that and so yeah. me and my other flatmate we um went into our you know into our own spaces and six hours later came out and we could both play eulogy and so nice. then we we played eulogy together and got an amazing feeling from it, you know, playing a song mm -hmm. like that. 
and then we decided to actually turn it into a band and then we um were, we were gigging as a tool tribute band for for a couple of years there and you i went nuts. i love that that's so great <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny like because i um i get real focused like i get real into into things and um mm -hmm. it was the perfect thing to sort of apply my mind to because um and i suppose it's sort of where i figured out ear training and things like that like i don't read um i'm self-taught so mm -hmm. you've really got to you know when you listen to music and you're fighting through the frequencies to hear something or you're looking yeah. through the music in your mind to try and figure out what that is so mm -hmm. i spent hours listening to tool and learning all of danny's things and and then i spent like so i did that for a couple of years and i i ended up playing in a prog band at that time um a band that i still play with now called the new caledonia mm -hmm. and um I, you know, I suppose I spent the next few years trying to take Danny out of my playing, <laughs> like not take him out, but yeah, I think because I was, you know, so caught up in, in sounding like Danny. I even had my kit set up um, like his when I was like 18 oh. to, to 20 years old with the ride up high and things like that, mm -hmm. just because we were a tall tribute band, you know, doing the thing. Yeah, you have to do and, it. Um, yeah, yeah you got to do it. And, <laughs> and then I spent, you know, a few years um, after that trying to make sure that I hadn't taken on um, so much that. I had just taken Danny's style or sound. Mm -hmm. A similar thing happened with Carter Beaufort as well, because like I got into Carter around the same time. So like in mm -hmm. my late teens, it was all about my guys were like Carter, Danny, um, Steve Smith, uh, and um, Thomas Hark and John Theodore. They were kind of like my five guys that really sort of um, I know there were elements of each of those guys that I was really focused in on. So like with Carter, it was hi hat work. With John, it was his ghosting in, in the Mars Volta. With Thomas Hark, it was his control of um of like insane polyrhythms, but still really groove focused. Mm -hmm. Like you could still feel that fundamental pocket that a lot of metal doesn't have just because it's too treated, you know? Mm -hmm. Um and then with Steve Smith, it was purely just the virtuosity. Like I it's the Steve that I was really into was the band that he had with Victor Wooten and I think a guitarist called Scott Henderson called Vital Tectones. Oh, you know, okay. They only did two albums and they wrote them in like um in the studio over like a five-day period. And I think they did a couple of shows, but it was a three-piece fusion thing, essentially, you know. Wow. And um, and that was the Steve Smith that I was really into at the time mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't know, like I I've been really interested in um like I, I did I did a, a festival over in Spain recently and um and I like to talk about things like the importance of influences and um, and choosing them wisely and sometimes you've got to choose them strategically but then also um, it's a real privilege to, to be someone's influence so like mm -hmm. you know I, I like framing it like that as well it's it's a privilege for the band to be your influence because you're giving them so much authority on you you know like yes. and so and, and I, I think we kind of just I don't know thinking about that more consciously is quite interesting absolutely you actually posted recently about your influences um just talking about like not drumming or music wise but just the oh, people yeah. that you your mentors right or like the people that yeah. you surround yourself with and i relate to that really really um closely just i do think that you're so affected by the people that you hold closest to you right Definitely. so like you want to make sure that those people are really positive <laughs> in your life yes. and really like really good humans because you kind of like take on characteristics of the people that you are closest to, I think. And yeah, even um, as an adult, like our brain, like we're just sponges, you know, obviously it's a lot more yeah. um, obvious when you're younger, but uh, like something, so I'm, like I said, I'm 38. So I'm really 
focused on um, really I'm just not interested in having negative influences in my life, negative mm-hmm. people, even mindsets. Um, I don't want to be, but then at the same token, I don't want to be the only person in my circle that's sort of thinking these, like thinking the way that I choose to think. So making sure that I surround myself with people that raise the bar real high for myself as well. Um, yes. You know, uh, what do they say? You're a product of the five people you hang out with the most. And so, yes. or even that you let into your world the most. It used to be the hang out with the most, but because we can right. live our life online, you can pretty much choose who you want to be influenced by, you know? Yes, it's so true. You're you're a product of the five people that you Zoom called or FaceTime the most. <laughs> exactly. And so the way that I was thinking of it is because I've got a playlist on Spotify that I built that's um it's look, you know, to like to keep it real basic, it's essentially guys, early, early pioneers of personal development. So I'm talking mm-hmm. about so I there's a lot of the stuff that I read, for example, a lot of the books are written in like anywhere from nineteen oh five to nineteen thirty-two. So like the real early um, written form of personal development. Um, and I'm, I'm calling it personal development because that's the way that it's been framed, but it almost has a ne- like a negative con- connotation now. But that's the world that it comes from, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, But then the audio side of it, that post that I did was in relation to the, um, the playlist that I've created of the five guys that I choose to um, have in my head on a daily basis to kind of set me up mentally, I suppose. Yes. And um, like, for example, one of them is Tony Robbins' mentor. So he's the guy that Tony was influenced by. He, so, oh, got you. So the guys that like um, sort of the early pioneers, one of the guys, his name's Earl Nightingale, and he was a um, radio broadcaster from the 1950s, and he actually created the first audio book ever. Wow. Mm. I so he, no he was, idea. Yeah, he was basically, a, um, he was a radio broadcaster, but he was really into personal development and sort of like mind, um, not, like uh, just, just growth, like personal growth is a really good way to put it. And mm-hmm. he basically wrote out this thing, which he called The Strangest Secret. Um, and essentially, it's like a, like if you read it, it's a short book, but in spoken word, it's only about 22 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And it's like to summarize it real quickly, it just, all he's saying is, is that you become what you think about. So choose your thoughts really carefully. And it's, right. but it's 22 minutes of him talking about that. And it's super powerful stuff. And anyway, he cut it to a to a um to a vinyl in the 19 like late late 1950s from memory and that was the first audio format book that had ever been created and people were buying this and um and putting it in like portable vinyl vinyl players and things like that putting them in their car and whatnot and so yeah like he's um he's one of the guys for example as well that's on that playlist and um, I don't know, like sometimes I do these posts because they just are like a moment of inspiration where I feel like sharing that stuff. Yeah, and then two weeks later, I'll be like, yeah, I don't really want to have that up there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know the feeling. I do the same thing where I, you know, I, I think it's important to share, um, share positivity. I don't know. There's so much negativity out there. There's so much like just, just you can easily surround yourself with nonsense. I don't know. Definitely. Like I, It's easier I, yeah. now than ever. It's so easy. You could, you could spend hours just looking at like things that don't really matter. And I feel like personally, I'd rather share something that um, might help someone else or something that I'm feeling at the time. Um, so I do the same thing. Sometimes I'll post something about like being positive or or, or how I'm feeling or something like that. Yeah, and then I'm yeah. just like, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's you like my, my my position, like I suppose going back to when we talked about when you sort of found out 
about me through the social media thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I position myself online now is a much more true representation of how I feel. And I think that that's probably something that's really not um, shared as often as what it should be. Like, so yeah. my thing with social media now is to be as honest as I possibly can, which is why yeah. I do show people stories of me reading a book or, um, you know, getting up early and, and then maybe I did a workout or uh, mm-hmm. maybe I'm doing a session. I don't know. Like I try and I don't want to ever paint a picture that's not there. And then also um, for me, it's beyond the drumming, a eh? Like, cause one of the, I suppose one of the issues that I had started to have with social media is um, I started to get identified as a, social media drummer or an Instagram mm-hmm. drummer, which, which yeah. was more of the term that I was seeing quite a lot. And I think because I'm a little bit older than some of the um, drummers that are online, um, that really rubbed me the wrong way because I'd already had a so much, I'd already um, sort of played with two major label artists prior sure. and I'd done a bunch of touring yeah, and like, stuff. Look at all these things that I've done. Yeah, and I'd been relegated to being an Instagram drummer. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so like I burnt the bridge completely and deleted all my content and um and just kind of like threw the system under the bus and and then i just sort of decided um to rebuild a more truer representation of how i am on a daily basis and how i want to be perceived online which is essentially just a person as a professional drummer just trying to do my thing you know and 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 also sharing my frame of mind along the way which i think is really important too um because you know like i suppose when you put up things like waking up at 3 a.m. and then reading a book and then doing a net workout and then playing your drums for two hours all before seven in the morning. People start asking questions like, how do you do that, man? What are you doing? And all those sorts of things. And so that's why I share a bit more of the things like that positivity post about choose your influences carefully because these guys that I listen to, all these um, audio things, they really shape my frame of mind on a daily basis and they help reinforce mm-hmm. the, um, the way that I want to be on a daily basis and then also the way I want to come across to the world too, you know? Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, and I, I like resist the urge to take things down like that because the, at the end of the day, there are all these people that, that write and say, thank you for sharing or thank you for your positive attitude or thank you for making me feel better about today or something like that. And it's like, you know what, if one person, one person gets that message, I think it's important. And it sounds yeah, but, easy, but it's not. It's it's real. That's who I am. That's who you are. I think it's important to share that. Yeah, I think so too. And like one of the questions I get more than anything now is more about oh, the, the style of question that I get in my DMs is um really just about how to set up a, a, a good routine, like a good quality, like daily structure and schedule. And people just want to know how do, how, how do you get up early? And it's real basic stuff. Those are the things that people lean into now. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably because... I don't share because, you know, like, you know, when I when I started popping off on Instagram and Facebook, it was because of the single kick stuff and the chop stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was what I sort of relegated my playing to on that platform as a form of expression. Mm-hmm. But that's what caused the problem in a lot of ways. And so back then um, and even for a long time, post my drumio appearance and stuff, it was all about how do you do the single kick stuff? How do you do your chops and things like that? Which um, which is all those are fair enough questions and great questions. But I think I really enjoy the um the process of the uh, mindset stuff um when i when i i always relate it to drumming like if i do clinics and whatnot that's the stuff that i like to tap into i like to talk about um how to set up more of a stronger frame of mind um you know how to stay you know consistent with your commitment to your craft um you know how, how to present yourself online as well 
mm-hmm. which a lot of kids need to sort of really start thinking about and things like that things that i feel shows a broader sense of the way that i think about drumming and music in general you know and just lifestyle i suppose yes and one of the things i noticed too and you're, you were talking about you know people writing and asking for advice is that you post openly um you know write to me ask me questions i will answer them i love that so much i think that's incredibly important that you are you know and and it's you're not charging for that you're saying like write to me and i'll, I'll answer your questions i'll help you with whatever yeah, you yeah. need and i that is amazing i just have to say Oh, cool. Cheers. Well, there's there's two reasons why I don't charge for it. One, because I'm not qualified, so I shouldn't charge for it. In terms of like advice, so right. I'm not quite I'm not a you know I'm not a, a healthcare professional or anything like that. So it all has to be taken, um, you know, like very lightly. But then also, um, it's not drum related, so I don't feel like I'm giving away any IP. Which I okay. I definitely do feel that you should charge for um knowledge on the kit like intellectual Mm -hmm. property and whatnot and i've actually gone through this myself through social media and seen a lot of guys online the way that they do it to come back to the place where i'm like no we need to value this we need to value whether it's me i've been playing for 26 years and my niche style of playing i do have 26 years experience in what i do Mm -hmm. so i should not just put up a post that 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 basically just debate more likes and clicks and stuff at the expense of not valuing what the core idea is or concept is you know so i'm really um so yeah i'm happy to to give people free advice because i'm not qualified and it's not a drum lesson (laughs) right right but it is it is valuable and and it's it's amazing that you know you're willing to share because it's your experience that that you're sharing and and that's fantastic and no go ahead yeah no, I was just going to say, I suppose it's still very specific to me too, because I've realized that not everyone um, is wired the same as well. And I've always been this way inclined. So um, I can offer advice and stuff, but it still comes down to the individual, you know, taking that ownership and yes, and making those changes, I suppose. And, and, and let me just ask, so are you waking up at three o'clock every morning? Is that the part of the routine? Yeah. Three o'clock? Okay. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, that's very very early in the morning yeah it is a, um i just like to get a lot done before my family wake up because i don't want my mm-hmm. personal things to interfere with my wife and my daughter's time and um and once the day's up and running you know I, I i don't like sitting down on my kit and practicing um when i know my family's downstairs or, or if I, i'm in the studio and whatnot i i do mm-hmm. do it but i try and do the bulk of my stuff my reading time my exercise and my kit time my practice time in my time and yeah. so and i think too um because this is this wouldn't work for everyone i've because i've been a business owner outside of drumming for the last 15 years i've had the luxury of with my the reason why i'm telling you this is because i've thought about it a lot why it works for me and maybe not for a lot of other people sure. and the reason is is because being a business owner for so many years and what what you could call supplementing through other means of drumming even though they were the primary means for many years um it gave me the luxury of really only taking on gigs and sessions and festivals and clinics or whatever stuff that I'm truly into. So I haven't really had to worry too much about taking everything that comes my way drumming wise, um, which would then in turn take away a lot of my creativity juices and time. You know, like if I was playing the kit five nights a week in a, in a covers band and then playing with an artist in the weekend or whatever, I probably wouldn't be practicing anywhere near as much because I wouldn't want to. So I've right. thought about this a lot and I've, I feel very fortunate that my life's gone the way it has because 
I still sit down on the kit for over two hours every day and absolutely love it every time I do. That's amazing. You, you've, you've found a way to keep it fun, right? So it's yeah, not... Unintentionally as well. And so when I do do like clinics and festivals or lessons, this is a big part of it that I talk about. I had this drummer when I was in Melbourne. He he flew over from, um, oh man, where was it? It might have been Korea or this is years ago now. Like, this is sort of really at the peak of the Instagram thing. He mm-hmm. flew over from somewhere in Asia. I can't remember. Awesome guy. He asked if he could have a lesson. And I said, yeah, man, absolutely. And he came over. Turns out he came over for the lesson. This came out through the conversation. I'd only booked him in for an hour and he had sold his electronic drum kit to come over for the lesson. Oh, and so really? I ended up giving him, yeah, I know. So like when this came out in the first five minutes because it was at my coffee roastery, I went over and I said, let's have a coffee. And I made him a coffee just so we could sort of, you know, figure out um, where he was at um, mentally and then on the kit and whatnot. And this came out in the first five minutes and I was like, oh man, well, I can't give you an hour. Let's do like three or four hours. And so I really gave him a lot of time. And one thing that he was struggling with was that he played in, uh, let me get this right. He had like 30 students and he played in two covers bands. Um, And uh, and that, that took a lot of time out of him, like 30 students a week and then two corporate sort of covers bands. He didn't have any juice for his originals band and did not feel like practicing. And my mm-hmm. response to that was like, cut your students in half and get rid of at least one of the corporate bands, if not both, and supplement your income else, like do, do something else. I said, man, it doesn't matter if it's stacking shelves. It doesn't matter if it's anything outside of drumming just to sort of get out of giving all your time to it. Yeah. And he was like, really? He was really confused by it. And I was like, I'm serious, man. Like you're... I've always thought about it um, that you've got X amount of creativity in a big pool in you that you can offer a week. And mm-hmm. if you're and 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 it's only one pool, you don't have like a working drummer pool and then a creative original expressing yourself pool. It's all one pool because it's right. just fine with your kit. And um and so like I, I only really tap into it uh, partially professionally, and then the rest of it's for when I'm practicing. And I just learned over the years that when I was in things like covers bands and whatnot, it was the most uncreative time I've ever had on the kit. So I would like, I ended up quitting bands for those reasons because I felt like they were just sucking me dry um, for, you know, to use Maynard as a. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. There you go. Yeah. And, um, and, and then, yeah, like I told him to do this and he went back and then a few months later he messaged me. And his whole life had turned around. He did do that. He cut his students down to like 10 students a week. He, um, I can't, I think he actually got like a, um, a temporary teaching job. So like helping outside of music, like just teaching in general. And wow. he cut his, um, his corporate band. He got rid of one of the bands and his creativity had shot through the, like through the roof and his covers. Oh, sorry. His original band was going really well. And not only that, but, um, cause he asked for some exercise advice while he was there too. And I had my little workout station there. So I showed him how to use a rower and I like, gave him like, <laughs> like a workout plan essentially and he'd gone back and bought a rower he was healthier than he'd ever been he'd got engaged like all this really good shit and uh, that's like a it's anecdotal but i think that the point is is that um he wasn't burnt out every time he sat down on the drums you know and i i deal with guys you know good friends of mine on a daily basis who are quite burnt out because they just give too much of their time to work that isn't creative on the kit Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. i feel fortunate that without even like the only reason that I um, I worked in a different industry in hospitality was because I had kids young and I didn't want to be touring and um, it was just a great way to have a more stable lifestyle, you know, with mm-hmm. the responsibilities that I had. I just realized in recent times that it's the reason why I've still been able to keep progressing on the kit and still have an absolute desire to play all the time. 
like my wife is like she's sick of it you know like <laughs> her, her and my daughter have this thing where like if i start talking about drumming they go drums 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 <laughs> because it just doesn't stop you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. i know i know it doesn't and there's something about drumming that um you know you don't you don't become not a drummer when you step away from your kit right you're no. always a drummer you're a drummer constantly we drum on everything we talk about yeah. drums all the time we talk about drummers all the time we we yeah. listen to music and we're you know the air drum along with it we yeah you know we're like you know we drive our families crazy by saying oh wait this is my favorite part that's coming up and this is why yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. it's just it's just is that thing. great meme is that great meme of the couple lying in bed and the wife's thinking to herself oh man what's going on with him he's just so things are just not good at the moment it must have been this that i done or something like that and then it goes to him and he's like man i just cannot get that 12 inch tom to sound right <laughs> and that's essentially like well that's how i feel in a nutshell you know yeah. <laughs> like, yes. like at the moment i'm ha i'm having an issue with my 16 inch you know and i'm just like <laughs> it's on my mind 24 7 you know it'll drive you crazy until you fix it yeah or should yeah. i buy should i buy this piece of equipment or you yeah, know yeah. Like, it's just yeah. and even it, like it, i just re i just rejigged my whole room it took me a couple of days and i just loved it and um and that even that like thinking about that leading up to doing it was quite yes. an ordeal for me emotionally you know like yes. <laughs> yeah and like the other thing is when drummers get together the talk the gear talk the, oh, yeah. the music talk it's just it's non-stop and I don't think like I mean singers don't get together and talk about their mics like that the guitar no. players don't get together and talk about like oh remember this you know lick that so and so did it it doesn't happen it's like this no. thing with drummers and you know, and you could talk all day long about it yeah and the perfect example of that the perfect like proof of that is that drummers have festivals about drumming like we do two-day festivals where yeah. we will go watch someone on a drum kit like guitarists don't have that bass but they have bass player day and stuff but they usually need the drummer with them like we yeah. you know I, i've thought about this too because it came up while i was in spain with, with with my yamaha guys they were talking about it too he's like man drums are just so strange that we congregate and then we like go ooh and ah and like they wheeled my drum kit out the back so everyone could come and have a look at it and stuff and like you know it's so funny and i think it's because it's such an imposing instrument it's got mm -hmm. so many different components and it requires every limb as well there's just something yes. so physical and present based about it so much more than a guitar you know yeah absolutely i i'm um heading to PASIC in a couple of weeks and oh cool I can't wait. Like, um, it's not, it's not just, it's not just the fact that like all these great players will be performing clinics. Like that's a huge part of it, but it's also like the gear part, you know, the exhibit halls filled with all this new gear. I want to see it. I want to hear it. Um, I want to be with my drumming family. Like we're all, you've got a big, you've got a big community and a big network too. Eh? Your, your reach is like crazy, man. Oh, thank you. I just, I love the fact that like, we're all, it's like a family, re family reunion when we all get together. And I know you feel yeah. it too. Like you were just in Spain, right? At the, um, um, I know I'm going to say the name wrong. You have to pronounce the name for me. The Alteza? Pet. I say Alteza. Alteza. Okay. Um, yeah. but it, but it is like you go to those festivals and you're around like Carter McLean with Yeah. Carter was there. And so was Richie uh, Martinez and, it's like funny i've talking uh talking oh my god i've spoken to both of them um uh briefly online just through you know social media and stuff over mm -hmm. the years and 
like you know like for one like they were just so much so different to how i even perceived them online not that i perceived them in a negative way but you know when you're meeting but we instantly connected like both both parties and like card is a agop artist or a gop artist as well and he and i got on really well and um it's that thing it's like you know they they knew a bit of me i knew a bit of them and we were just instantly like good friends and it was really cool you know it is it's amazing it's this connection that makes you feel like you know each other and you know like it's funny because we were talking at the start of this how you know we've we've never talked before like we've emailed each right. other we've been connected on social media for ever <laughs> but like yeah. but having a conversation i feel like i've i feel like i've known you forever and yeah, it's weird. like i know that you like running or you like you know and you've got your family yeah. and you know like i know things i know enough i know about you you know but yeah like you say I've, we've never spoken <laughs> but, like, but it doesn't feel like that right like we would get together and go have an industry dinner and just talk and talk and talk because that's yeah. like that's what this that's what this industry is and i i, feel I suppose that's the benefit of social media too is that it bridges the gap of like um interactions like first time interactions or whatever so so well like i've done festivals in australia and different clinics here and there and like um you know like benny's been there and um dom and eric moore's been there and been out to dinner with them and stuff and not feeling that like because you've kind of like followed them along so um so much more than what we could have in the past that it's not as daunting anymore you know yes yeah that is so true and it, yeah it does it breaks the ice because you you know enough to have a conversation with someone at the very yeah. least right you're like yeah, oh eric moore okay i can talk to him about his his uh you know drum house like fantasy <laughs> camp that he has right and um, yeah, yeah you know things like that it is it is amazing that that is definitely mm. a positive for social media um yeah yeah i think the one thing that i just um that i that i want to be or that i just make sure that i am going forward is um just to be as real as possible and also like one thing that i did with the content is i didn't have it pigeonholed into like a brand almost you know mm -hmm. like I, I moved it away from being the brick wall um i every post that i did was essentially just looking at the kit from the same angle with the same backdrop and that almost became a brand mm -hmm. and um now i just i'm quite happy to put up random stuff that gets no traction at all i to be honest actually like to be completely honest since i changed my format of not just putting up vids of like single kick and chops every day my, my numbers are going down because it's like that's what the audience came in with and that's what i basically took away from them but it's weird because my fulfillment on there is so much better than what it ever was prior i mm -hmm. just feel because it's more of a truer representation where you know like on tuesday night i was doing an arena gig um on the week uh, the weekend just prior i was in australia uh mm -hmm. for a for a gig in sydney and then um you know a week before that i was in spain and i'm just putting up like maybe it's just the poster from the gig or just random bits of information that no one gives a shit about but yeah. <laughs> but i don't know like it, it it shows a wider scope of things you know and i because i'm a professional drummer and um that's the way that i want the community wider than the drum community to know of me mm. um they can go on my social media now and see and see that i do do sessions for random artists i have my own bands um i can play in multiple genres i can do a studio session no worries um they can see I can hold my own in a drum clinic and present information. Like they can see a wider scope than just putting up some chops like I used yeah. to. 
Absolutely. and get relegated to the Instagram drama thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's, I think it's more important to be authentic than to stick with a brand that isn't who you are. Right. Definitely. Like, and so I appreciate all the things you post and I know oh, that cool. like it, yeah. And if, if it hits someone the right way, I, I think that's important. One of the things that you posted um, really was like, I was just like, yes, yes, Stan. And it was, it was the harder you work, the luckier you get. Oh yeah. I love that quote. Oh goodness. It just hit home with me. And I'm like, because people will say, oh, you're so lucky to be in this industry and you're lucky to, you know, do what you do or, or whatever. And I'm sure you get that too. And a lot of people get that. And I, I'm always thinking like, man, I, it's really like, it's been a labor of love for like 20 years. That's, that's why, Absolutely. you know, that, so. that quote is from a guy called Brian Tracy, who is a part of that sort of um, those five guys that I mentioned. And it's such a great example of where people get um, the wrong end of the stick, you know, like luck is just a byproduct of the effort put in. And, mm-hmm. um, and so one thing that I realized in, in, in the recent years, especially, is that the harder you do work, um, if you just focus on your craft and dialing yourself in um, in whatever aspect, um, things will just present themselves because the byproduct is is that you're ready. Like, I, like I, I'm a firm believer in get ready for the things you don't know you're going to get an opportunity for. You know, like don't just stay um at the level that your current situation could get you to do it's like i'm always working towards the gig and the environments and things that i don't know that are going to come around the corner and that Mm -hmm. way i'm ready for them you know and that always happens where like something will pop up and i've just been working on that thing for three months prior and like i happen to be ready for it you know yes yes i i do know actually a really a situation came up for me recently just like that, where I had, you know, I had a plan and this is, you know, this is what I'm going to make happen. And in looking back, it's like, wow, it did happen. And it, and it was because I made the decision to focus energy in that direction, you know? So yeah. I'm a I big believer in that. Eh? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Another great quote too, that I really like is, you know how the rock always says, be the hardest worker in the room. It's a real cliche almost. Yes. yes. That's obviously a great quote, but I, but one of the guys that I listened to, um, this is actually Tony Robbins guy, um, Tony Robbins mentor, his name's Jim Rohn. He says, um, uh, you know, work, uh, be the hardest worker in the room, but work even harder on yourself. Mm. And that's a really powerful statement, like working harder on yourself and whether that's, um, you know, like commitment to, um, physical things you do every day, whether that's, you know, like doing a bit of exercise or maybe it's like gaining knowledge in a different field or even your field that you're currently in, work harder on yourself than what you do towards your profession. And yeah. the byproduct is, is that you're just like that. You're just so much more open to receiving more and more opportunity and you're ready for it as well. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a big yes. in that. I am going to clap for that because (laughs) so it's so good. And I did not learn that lesson until about two years ago. I did not. I'm probably about the same, to be honest. I did not. No, no, but you are into exercise and stuff though, right? Yes. Yes. So like maybe you were doing some of it subconsciously, similar to me where it's like you were just doing the thing, but um, connecting the dots is uh, an important part of it. And I too like connect the dots a couple of years ago where I started to realize actually, I'm consciously going to start working on myself more than what I do on my craft. 
And mm-hmm. so that's why I commit to reading every day. It's why I commit to doing exercise in some shape or form every day. These little things, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that step towards personal growth. And then the byproduct is, is that when you do make the time for your craft or your instrument or whatever, um, the output is so much higher. And then the rewards are, um, especially because of the benefit of social media, that the world gets a, um, a you know glimpse into what you're up to and then the opportunities will present themselves. And that's another thing too. I'm never worried about opportunity anymore because I'm always working towards it. That it'll always present itself in some capacity. Right, right. And that and that's so interesting. I mean, I always had this thought like, well, what if what if the worst happens? What if and to, and to me, the worst thing that I could imagine was not working for Zildjian symbols. Like that was that was the worst thing I could ever think of in my life. I wasn't thinking like I could lose my health or something could happen to, you know, I I was literally like so focused on my job and what I was doing for a company that that was the worst thing that could happen. And, and the worst thing happened, we get into a pandemic and the worst thing happened. And then I realized the most important lesson of my life, it wasn't the worst thing that could happen, right? Like, and that was the biggest change. Must have been a big one though. Yeah, it must have been massive. I don't know if you've talked about it much. Have you gone into it much on your podcast? Or like, I don't even know your personal stance on talking about it. No, I, you know, here and we've, you know, I've kind of covered it here and there, not a ton. Um, But I mean, the, the, the real big thing is um, I realized just how much energy and effort that I was putting toward um, a brand that wasn't mine. Yeah. Right. And so wow, at, cool. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I thought to myself, what if I, you know, I, I love the rock. I love that quote, be the hardest worker in the room. I have always felt like that. And I've always worked so hard at whatever it was that I was focused on. And I thought to myself, you know, what if I had focused that energy on something that was mine? Yeah. On you know? me. <laughs> right. You know, I, yeah. myself or my, my, company or my right so it was it was like this total mindset change and um and it was amazing and i i probably have haven't never been healthier you know physically um and i i just really i do get up early i do get things done before anything else starts before people are awake before you know, the companies that I consult with are awake. And, yeah, um, cool. and, you know, it feels like I've started my day on myself, which is really incredibly important. And I just didn't put that energy there before. But yeah, you were saying that the opportunities, um, they do present themselves. And I and like, it, you can, fo- the, the, these conversations can fall into the esoteric a little bit. So like, I'm always careful about how I handle them, because I don't want to diminish the power of what we're saying. Um, and, but I do think that, yeah, cause for one, I am the hardest worker in my room. Like I, cause I just have seen the results of that. Right. So mm-hmm. no one will, will sort of match my schedule that I see in my immediate world, you know? And mm-hmm. if they do, then I'll probably level it up. I'll probably do something else crazy. You know, I said to my <laughs> wife a little while back, I was like, you know what? 2.30 a.m. is not seeming like that crazy now. <laughs> and she's just like, what the hell, man? Do not do that. Um, because you know like people, the first question i always get to is like you know if you're getting up at three what time are you going to bed and to be honest like if i'm in bed by 8 30 and i'm and i read and i'm down by nine that's still six hours mm-hmm. and i've had I, I had my son when i was 19 years old and um um because he and his mum and i separated um uh, early on 
mm-hmm. mutually, like it was totally fine. But I would have him in my room when he was really young in a portico. And from then on, um, I was such a light sleeper. Like that, mm-hmm. just that, just having him in my room um, half of the week in a portico, I would hear, a, I would hear a pin drop, eh? And so from that point onwards, my sleeping has always been like, um, I just have not. I mean, I do get six hours a night. I always make sure I get my six. Um, mm-hmm. But I just don't need any more than that. I can function completely fine without it. And so, like, I don't know, like, it's that um, idea of uh, optimizing my time. Like, everyone gets the same amount of time in the day. The highest performers have the same amount of time as the lowest performers. No one's got mm-hmm. more or any less. It's exactly the same, you know. Um, right. And so just being aware of that and just trying to absolutely squeeze the most out of it and, and the way that I want to live my life, you know. Yes. Yes. I, and I also get about six, six and a half hours of sleep a yeah. night. And, and, um, you know, I do go, 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 go. Like I, <laughs> I definitely don't really stop, but I like it like that. Like I like, yes, you know, I like the movement. I like constantly going. I like the feeling of at the end of the day that you did what you set out to do. Um, definitely. You know, sitting is not my thing. <laughs> like, it just. Oh, well, that's the thing. Like in the evening, like early after, oh, sorry, late afternoon, early evenings, um, I will start to peter out because obviously, when you're getting up at three, you've moved the window back. Tired. Um, but I really enjoy that time too. Like when I'm just starting to sort of get a little bit doughy, you know. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah, it's quite funny. I, I do enjoy that, but also like um, just the byproduct of of that sort of output. Um, you just got to trust the process as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know it's. I, I just trust the process of the things that I commit to and um, do not expect anything from, I don't have any expectation from the world. I just trust the fact that if I put energy into these three or four things that um, the rest will figure itself out, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and speaking about putting energy into things and also speaking of um, playing different genres of music, I just want to hear what you're up to with, with your bands, I know um, the New Caledonia. I've heard you post a bit about about uh, music with with that band, and and I'm a big fan. You know, being a oh, prog rock you. fan, of course, I love yeah. love the music. Um, but yeah, tell cool. me about what you're up to and with the other. Yeah, cool. So I'll, I'll give you a rundown of sort of where I'm at um, across the board, really. So, you know, we're in my drum studio right now, which is really cool. And it's got, um, you know, it's fully mic'd up and it's always ready to go. I'm sort of fortunate I've got, um, you know, multiple setups. And so I have the luxury of, um, you know, tracking for people and not having to really mess with my uh, kit, you know, mm-hmm. which is such a, that's such a privilege, you know, after 26 years, I finally have a kit that's my Yamaha that's permanently set up at all times, mic'd up, ready to go. Um, I've got amazing SE mics on it, and I run through Apogee hardware, and um, so I can track raw stems for people, no worries at all. So I just finished an album for someone. Um, I've done a couple of individual song projects for people recently as well. Um, but this room is also my – I can come in here in 3 in the morning and no one can hear me or anything as well. So um, it's also the place that I get a lot of my kit time work done, whether it's preparing for a session or whether it's just me working on my stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is like a real zone for me. It's got a real feng shui about it. I feel very relaxed in here. It's it's like meticulously clean. All the cables are hidden. Like <laughs> it's, um, it's very much an extension of my personality, this room. I was sharing it with a friend of mine recently and, um, and it was it was hard to, to it was hard you know not not anything that he did wrong it was just purely because yeah. 
my, my zone, my space. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, you know, I track for people in here. I do a lot of pre-production stuff for myself. Um, and then I play. So in Australia, I just did a, um, a session with a band that I've actually played on and off with for 14 years now, since like 2008 or 2009. They're like a mm -hmm. dance band that use a live band. And when they do their live sets, it's an hour long and every song just bleeds into the next. And so you're doing multiple tracks, like maybe 10 or 11, 12 songs, but it, it doesn't stop. And right. so it's always fun playing with them because um, – because I don't write anything down. So like I always put everything, I always um, commit what I do to memory. So it's always cool like working on their material and whatnot because it's quite a um, mentally, it's a quite a long, you know, <laughs> file nice. to remember. Um, oh and then I play with a local artist here called Georgia Lines and she's in a really cool part of her career where she's got two EPs out. She's got half a dozen videos. She's just been... Um, selected uh she's been she's a nominee for two music uh new zealand music awards um so like she's at a really cool turning point for her career and i i just happened to um start playing with her maybe four or five months ago and that's a really cool gig because of for, for one i'm really into the music so like i i i only really do sessions that i enjoy whether it's in here or whether it's live like i won't really take on anything that i'm not either connected to musically or connected to the people with um mm -hmm. so her stuff's produced really well the, the songwriting's ultra tight and her singing is amazing so she's great to play for because it's a really good pop discipline for me similar to i used to play with an artist called kimbra back in the day and yep. she has a real her earlier stuff especially was a real similar style where it's like a really well produced singer songwriter stuff but um in a real pop structure and so you know, like essentially I'm fundamentally a rock prog guy, right? Like that's the way that I position myself and a bit of a mongrel too because I'm self-taught. Like I've got, I wouldn't say I've got much finesse, you know, but I like to do these like random little session gigs too because they're so good for my playing. Like I have to stay disciplined. I have to stay well-rounded. I have to dynamically sit within context of the music. And so she's really the only artist that I've committed to outside of either one-offs or my personal projects um so she was the one that i did the arena gig with on tuesday night we opened up for a uk artist called george ezra and that was really cool and um she's got a few more things i'm actually going to be in la next month with her for a couple of days which oh, is going to be cool um and yeah then what else have i got on um yes yeah, so i've got a, a an original band called the new caledonia and we've been we've got an album out and a few spot songs here and there and i've done some live playthroughs on my youtube channel i performed one of them on uh, Drumio, and I even performed two of the songs at my clinic in Spain. And it's oh, great to use that. Yeah, the reason why I use that material even to this day is because the way that I do my clinics and festival performances is I tell a bit of a narrative chronologically. I show, so I played seven songs in Spain um, that in chronological order that have, are really good genre hopping. Um, and showing like a good range of what I've done, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And then in between every song, I get up off the kit with the mic and I talk about how I approached the shift into this act from that act. Like I went from a prog band into a pop rock band and how I had to sort of, this is back in my like early 20s and how I had to kind of like consider that I wasn't a, um, I wasn't one of four people anymore. Got in the prog band, that's what you are. You know, you're four mm -hmm. individuals fighting or whatever. Whereas in the pop rock context, we were just one sound and how everything had to sound like one entity and backing tracks came into my life at that point and, and it was a major label band too. So there's always like something cool to talk about. And then I went from that band into Kimbra. Then I went from Kimbra into um, 
uh, you know, the Drumeo stuff, like the single mm -hmm. kick stuff and how, what happened around that time. And I don't know, like I like to sort of present the, the New Caledonia stuff at the start of the career because that's where I started, you know, like, and right. it's such a, it's such a like throw everything in band. Like we were like in our early 20s or late teens, early 20s and everything was in it, man. It's a total prog fest, you know, it was instrumental as well. It was so yeah. over the top. But I love I love that band. I still love playing with them now. So we're getting back together officially to do some shows early next year, which I can't say I can't say the reason why we're doing the shows because it hasn't been announced yet. But we've been approached by something um, that's happening next year, and they've asked if we can bring the band back together essentially, which is cool. And we're all good friends. Too. So we we were all best men at each other's weddings, and we've all had kids that have like grown up together. So we all know each other really well. Um, one of the guys is in Australia. One of the guys is a producer up in Auckland, which is a couple hours away from me. And one of the guys lives in a neighboring city. And um, yeah, like the the band is just sort of fun for us these days, you know, but it's nice that we've got uh, another reason to sort of get the band back together, which is fun. Yeah. yeah I, have, um, I have an original project with a guy here in New Zealand called Black Comet, which is his vision. But um, we're a five piece band that essentially have come together to create his vision for him. And he's sort of one of New Zealand's premier uh, musicians. He's been in the scene for a long time and he's got a, a massive reputation nationally. Um, he's a hell of a guy. He's become like a really close friend of mine. Um, and that band has actually, we've done a couple of shows and we've released a couple of live performances that we recorded that I actually engineered. And um, man, that band's popping off. Like, like we've had a lot of really big opportunities present themselves. So I'm just um, very mindful of that. Th th those are pretty much the main things, apart from if someone messages me and says, can you do this one thing for me? Sure, sure, yeah. yeah. I don't want to not be able to say yes to things of those three things, you know? Absolutely, and that's a lot. Like, all those things that you just talked about, that's a lot. And I did check out Black Comet Band and oh, definitely cool. understand why it's popping off. So anyone oh, listening should for sure check it out but yeah i appreciate that black comet is a real fun project and it's um it's i there's some big stuff that we're doing next year uh and so yeah i i, I just and I, the one thing that i have pulled back from is teaching i suppose is is that's the one thing that had to take a hit unfortunately i was teaching quite a lot but mm -hmm. once again it's that energy pull thing and it's also just if i'm not in the lesson mentally if i'm thinking about other stuff for the for what i charge i have to cut it because it's not fair on the student you know Sure. Yeah, that ma yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I was going to ask you about that too because I wasn't seeing a whole lot of that. That's that's understandable. You're at a different, just different focus in your life. Yeah, I was teaching so great. much when I got back here. I had a bunch of students at a local music school, and then I had a lot of private tuition, and then I was also the itinerant tutor for a neighboring city's polytech, so like oh, a school okay. in a neighboring city, and I taught their students all online. Mm -hmm. And um, I've basically whittled it down to no one at this point because I just uh, over time. I just had to, you know. Yeah, yeah. You need to, you need to uh, do what's what's calling you right now, which is totally. which is a lot and really great. And um, yeah. I cannot end this interview without asking you when we are going to see you play guitar. <laughs> Probably never, eh? Because it's like <laughs> my the type of guitar that I'm influenced by is nowhere near the way that I play as a as a drummer. Like. I'm into Jeff Buckley. I'm into like um, acoustic-y ballady stuff. Like I'm an yes. acoustic player. So oh like God. I get on an electric guitar and I have no idea. It just feels like a different instrument to me. So yes. yeah, 
I so like acoustics, I, like James Taylor or something like that. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like definitely yeah. that style. I'm a, I'm a chord guy, and I like interesting chords. And um, for me, I, I play the guitar because it does something for me that drums don't do, which is melody. And my mm -hmm. biggest connections to music are through melody. So I mm -hmm. physically relate to rhythm, but emotionally, yep. I really connect with melody. So that's why I keep playing guitar. I love that. I love that. Well, yeah. maybe maybe we'll get a sneak peek someday. Maybe one day in my late fifties or something. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I will put a bunch of um, links and everything in the YouTube description and in the podcast um, show notes oh, because cool. we we want to you know follow along with all these great things that you have going on. I can't wait to hear why the New Caledonia is going to be putting out some music, and we'll see yeah. why you're going to get back together and all of that. But um, yeah. but in the meantime, you know, enjoy all these great things you're doing and. I will keep enjoying your posts and I know a lot of other people do. So um, keep, keep doing that. Don't take them down. Stay authentic. It's, it's the best <laughs> well, way thanks. to I be. appreciate that. I appreciate Absolutely. your, um, I appreciate finally catching up with you and yeah, taking the time to have a chat and inviting me on. It's really cool. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And for coming on today, I really, really appreciate your time and, I hope we do get to meet in person at some point. Yeah, where are you? Where are you in the States? I am in Boston, East Coast. Oh, okay, US, cool. So, yes. Yeah. But, There's um, a high chance I'll be over those ways at some point, so I'll keep in touch. Please do. Please do. It'll be great to see you in person. We'll have that dinner, and we'll just talk drums. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks, right, Sarah. Here. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in today. Join us each Tuesday for new episodes of Sarah Hagen Backstage.